Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, or you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And you can find the other podcasts we do as well on Spotify, the Centurion Leadership Battalion Show, the Night Dasher, which is relaunching after we've had some things and name changes and some structure changes. So that'll be coming out again. And then obviously the Justin Ryan Bizarro show where it's the same format as this. It's just for all the non-food entrepreneurs that um, are coming into my life and athletes and musicians and stuff that want to be a part of a show. But I can't, I don't want to confuse food with every other food entrepreneur. Okay. Because there's way more food entrepreneurs in the world than anything else. And in my opinion, we deserve our own podcast. So that being said, I have Nick back with us from Bricks Wood Fire Pizza. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing well, bro. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I can't say I'm I'm 100%, but I can say that uh, as someone who's been in the food game and an entrepreneur for a long time, being 100% or at 50% doesn't matter. You still have to put in 100% effort. So, Agreed. Um, it's just one of those things in life. Uh, where life doesn't give us a choice. We just have to freaking deal with it. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people out there uh, react to things emotionally. And as entrepreneurs, we do too. But the difference is we keep going. Even if people think we're running or people think we're fighting or think people think we're fleeing or people think, what are we doing with our businesses? You know, it's often misconstrued. But entrepreneurs, we're always fighting. We're always giving 100%. And we're always trying to benefit the world around us, particularly in our businesses. So, you know, just keep it that in mind, guys. Being an entrepreneur, particularly in food, is a different animal. You know, I'm an entrepreneur outside of food and I'm an entrepreneur inside of food, okay? And my being a food entrepreneur is different than being an entrepreneur in the other things. Sorry, a lot of more tangible things, a lot of more ingredients, a lot of more customer service, a lot more feedback, a lot more of people's opinions, a lot more employee issues. I don't even know how to describe it. Easier ability to steal stuff so on and so forth it's just the way it is and you often get the lowest because no one wants to work in food anymore so you're having to deal with that as well so nick let's talk about summertime we're we're approaching we're well into summer well not well into but getting well into summer you have a booming business um your this pizza trailer that you guys run is, is doing very well and so talk to me about let's just jump right into it um let's give a brief history how you got into being a food trailer even though everyone should go back and listen to part one of your your um your episode that we did the first time and um but give us a little you know background of you how you got into the food trailer why you got into the food trailer and um sort of what the future holds for you guys um as you you keep moving forward and let's talk about summer because i think the summer is probably big time for you as a food trailer so we started uh, i'm a retired uh air force fighter jet mechanic that uh got out of the air force and like i've always made food for my for my friends like in the military we on on down days or whatever when we're not flying jets uh or when pilots are not flying jets uh we would like cook smoke brisket or whatever and, and have like cookouts for each other. And it's just a way that we show our appreciation is a, is like leadership to the guys that work for us. Um, and it's the way it's always been anyway. So that is kind of the example that I followed and then, uh, got out of the military in 2020 and, um, 
went to work in civilian aviation, got my airframe and power plant license, and was like, this isn't for me. Went back to work in a fighter squadron as a civilian contractor in a vault. And then um, was just, but when we were in Japan, uh, I was stationed at Masao Air Base in northern Japan. And right outside the gate, there's this little Neapolitan pizza place. Um, and it was just this Japanese guy that studied in Italy. And they had, you know, a, a Neapolitan pizza oven. It's, it was beautiful. Um, and so that's where my wife and I fell in love with Neapolitan pizza. And then she bought me um, a Baker Stone pizza oven that goes on your barbecue and has no heat source. Started making pizza. You know what I mean? Like retired from the Air Force, went in civilian aviation. We were still making pizza. And then in the fighter squadron, I used to they deployed and I used to make pizza for the guys that were left behind. And I would just take my barbecue in and my little pizza oven and um and we would make like 20 pizzas for those dudes they would give me feedback my wife and i finally decided to just bite the bullet and go do a food truck because i was not happy working for anybody else and uh and that was saturday this past saturday was our one year anniversary um and one year since our first soft opening and uh and we've sold uh in the ballpark of like 11,000 to 12,000 pizzas in the last year. Damn, dude. That's what I'm talking about. I love so, volume. I'm a big volume guy. I love volume. Yeah. Love it. Love scalability. Big thing for me. Um, I love this because I was, um, I've been in the food game a long time. Like I grew up on a farm. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I got into fruit stands and vegetable stands, particularly organic, um, taking the seconds that Whole Foods that was just booming in the 90s. And so I've always been an entrepreneur in the food game. We started Food Service Partners in 1998. I used all my savings for playing soccer, for mowing lawns. Uh, had a business doing that, landscaping at a young age with friends. Um, also did, uh, like I said, the fruit stands. I also played soccer overseas every summer. So I learned how to sell candy bars really well. And, um, you know, things like that, but all of it surmounted to money that I put into food service partners. Okay. But I never, we never produced pizza, even though we had a pizza oven. Uh, it was rare and no one ever taught me how to do it. We didn't make donuts and we didn't bake. All that stuff was outsourced because we were about making fresh ingredients for the hospitals, uh, making fresh plates, but we didn't get into the baking. So since August of 2000, or I should say July of 2022, when everything sort of came to an end, whether I wanted to or not, um, life sort of does things for you. I've learned a lot, and I've spent some time in pizza. I've spent some time in donuts. I've spent some time in bakeries. I've spent some time in grocery stores, and I've spent some time in the delivery food game business because all of those things, I feel, are things that were lacking in my game. And I have to tell you, pizza's a hard business than people understand. We think that it's just a franchise business and it's so easy, but that dough thing and that proofing thing, and if you overproof or underproof or you don't take really good care of your dough, holy crap. Now, I'm just going to confess that as I was learning this, I lost like whole sheet pans and whole racks of of a pizza dough because I overproofed it because I forgot about it, okay? Because it just doesn't happen in other food. Once you cook it and put it in the cooler and it drops the temperature properly, you don't really worry about it as much. But that's not the same in baking. It's not the same in pizza and the sensitivity of the ingredients. So let's go here. How the fuck, Nick, did you <laughs> learn this business? I'm blown away by it. I don't um, know anything. 
I'm a scumbag airplane mechanic that makes pizza. And I just made mistakes. Like, and when, when, so I don't care about making mistakes. I care about not making mistakes twice. So if we fuck something up, I'm fine with it. Never make it. As long as we don't make that mistake again, I don't care. And we have made the same mistake twice and I've been furious. Um, but that's it. Like I said, I think in the last podcast, I used the awful, I coming from the military where buzz words are everywhere. I hate them. However, failing forward is something that is, is, you know, like resonates with me I know because I'm down to fail. I'm down to fail over and over and over again until we get it right. And I'm so bold. And this is the funny thing. I just had a quote today. I'm going to share it with everyone uh, really quickly here. Um, if everyone can still hear me, Nick, can you still hear me? Because I'm playing yeah. with my phone. So I want to make sure I don't screw this up. But um, there's a quote, and everyone might hear me flipping through my Instagram. But it's called, bold-hearted men are always called mean-spirited by cowards. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. The Charles Spurgeon is the person who said it. But bold-hearted men are always called mean-spirited. Okay? And the reason I want to anchor this right now for everyone in the audience is because I think particularly what we're talking about here is this aggressive nature towards life. Like when you're willing to fail and you're willing to do things, that can hurt. Like if if you're not a person that can handle failure, it is extremely painful, okay? And it can seem mean-spirited, okay? But if you're a person that and you are in an environment and, you're, and you understand failure happens for you so you can grow and life happens for you, not to you, that this is an amazing lesson. So I agree with you 100%. I think that life in general, um, if we really want to do well and we really want to grow and we really want to build legacies for our families or for humans in general or our planet or the animals, it comes down to taking risks comes down to being bold-hearted. It comes down to people criticizing you, um, being scared of you because you're willing to fail all the time. It's the craziest thing. And uh, people actually run away from the people that learn through through failure. It's kind of a, a weird phenomenon I've noticed. And But you're doing it, and you've done it in this business, and you never hesitated even though food wasn't necessarily in your background. Um, yeah. Talk to me about, like, I mean, it's a bold move to jump from, you know, a grill to a trailer and, and go all in. Like, and I know your wife supported and you're like, I'm not happy. So I totally get that because I understand that the entrepreneurial ingenuity is the only way to my happiness and my true pursuit of excellence is is being able to have the freedom to determine my own outcome by my own effort and the intellect that I gain along the way. But most of the intellect and intelligence and knowledge I gain is through trial and error. It's it's not looking backwards through books. Books help build foundations, but you got to learn on the fly. So talk to me a little bit about, I mean, we talked about it on the last episode, but how the hell did you guys, like not coming from the background, knowing that failure was possible, how did you guys decide to go all in on this food trailer? I mean, the cool thing is that, like, uh, I feel like, I don't have any restaurant experience, so I don't have any restaurant bad habits. I just have the procedures that we put in place uh, over time that have made us successful. And in in my life in the Air Force, process is everything. Like the ability to take to constantly turn jets and, and make broke fighter jets, of you know 
fix them and turn them day after day after day because an average fighter squadron will fly, you know, like 28 jets a day and, um, and more when they're, you're surging, you know what I mean? Like the resiliency that I gained from working fighter jets, um, the pressure that comes from that is it's tremendous. So my, like, that's just my normal battle rhythm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a part of who I am now. Um, to your point about reading books of history, um, I read a lot and, um, I, I, uh, general Mattis, um, who was the Marine Corps top general and then was our, uh, secretary of defense for a while. Um, I read his book. Uh, he's called the, you know, everybody calls him the warrior monk or whatever, but he talked openly about how much he read when he was in the Marine Corps and how he studied history's battles. And there's a specific quote that I will never forget from him. And he said, I have never been caught flat footed on the battlefield because of what I learned from history. So I like the first book that I ever read is called, um, of course, my brain will forget this as I go to say it. Um, it's by the guy that has Andalini's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and like I read his, that's my Bible. I've read it three times. I just read Unreasonable Hospitality uh, by Will Giardo, the guy that used to own. Um, 11 Madison Park in New York City. That was one of the most fantastic books I've ever read and really got me excited again about doing this because it, the fun part of entrepreneurship is like building the business and building the brand and what are we going to call it? Let's design a logo. But like, dude, we sold 11,000 pizzas. And aside from like maybe 400 of those, I've made every single dough ball. I don't want to make dough anymore. You know what I mean? So the ability to like drag yourself out of bed and go to the food truck and make, you know, I, like as soon as we hang up, I got to make two batches of dough, which is about 130 dough balls um, to just get ready for the week. My entire currency is dough and um, is just a, it's really awful sometimes. <laughs> and it's the easy, it's easy to have a job or you just get up and you go do this thing and somebody pays you, you know what I mean? And it's difficult to continue to grind your way forward every single day. That was a roundabout way to answer. You know, could you repeat that quote again, just for everyone that you gave and who was by? I just want to anchor that with the audience real quick. The uh, I've never been caught flat-footed. Hello? Yeah, could you repeat the the quote you just did? Sorry, we had a little glitch here. Um, the one that said, "I've never been caught flat-footed." I was uh, for some reason uh, you couldn't hear me, but now I think you can hear me just fine. But <clears throat> what was the quote you gave, and who was that by again? It was by General Mattis, the the former commandant of the Marine Corps and our former Secretary of Defense. Said, "I've never been caught flat-footed on the battlefield because I learned history's lessons." I love yeah. this. That's really really cool um, thing. Um, so, I mean, that's a, just such a true statement. Like, it gives you such a foundation, and I think. Um, particularly in any business, if you can learn from the past or you read books, particularly people that are in the space or whatever, I think generally a lot of entrepreneurs and business people, we read a lot of books. Like I, I, I tend to get too general in my reading about leadership and about growth sometimes. And those books are great for big thinking, but I often, you also need to ground yourself in the actual subject matter, which we just talked about that unreasonable hospitality book. I agree with you. It's interesting because I just read that book because someone recommended it to me uh, because we're doing a lot of consulting and coaching in the, the restaurant and food and consumer packaged goods space right now at Freedom Foods. 
uh, with the team we've put together there. And it's interesting because that book really lays out what it takes. I don't even know how to describe it. It was like, I couldn't have said it better. It's like, okay, why am I going to say it here? Read this, you know, it's fantastic. Um, and it blew me away. And it's interesting. That's kind of just weird thing. Cause I literally just read that book. It was my, I read a book every month, you know, 10 pages a day, at least sometimes I get two books done if I'm really going, but that was the book I chose in May. Interestingly, cause someone had recommended it to me. Uh, interestingly back at a networking event we did on May 7th and I was just, fin- I did two books in April and I was a little bit behind finishing it. And I'm like, I don't know what to read next. And I don't want another general, just like whatever. And I love Napoleon Hill and all those books, but uh, at some point I need something a little more specific. And someone told me about the book and it blew me away. I mean, I could not stop turning the pages. I mean, I think Same. I finished it in 20 days. And so I was like ahead of schedule, but I could not stop reading it and gaining the information from it. And it's rare. Like even the best books I have and the best books I get into, it's very rare that I, um, that, that, that happens. Okay. And I will say one other book for everyone that's in the food space. I'm going to try to find it while we're talking. I'm going to ask Nick another question. Then I'm going to try to find this book, but I don't know if I will. Um, but there's another book out there that's by Joe Bastianich, who's Lydia, I can't say the name right, Bastianich, which everyone knows, Lydia and Lydia's Cooking and, you know, Italy. They were talking about the family. This the son. He has a bunch of businesses. He was once uh, business partners with uh, some of the other chefs. Wow, I'm going blank here really bad. It's embarrassing. But um, I just think that this book that you discuss is probably the best book in hospitality in the restaurant business right now for individuals to read i'm just saying maybe there's other ones out there that i can recommend please dm me or text me the phone numbers on better with bacon fat on instagram you can text me the from that phone number and i will answer i promise to that number but i do think that amazing so let's talk about lessons learned recently Okay, because now you're you're talking about eleven thousand pizzas. Okay, you're talking about reading books to give foundational stuff to grow forward, and you found this new excitement. Okay, talk to me about what you've learned, what you gained from the book, and in sort of how this this excitement that you're talking about how is it manifesting? So, my entire life, I've been told to pump the brakes, and unreasonable hospitality is all about a guy that refused to accept that there was breaks with how he treated people. You know what I mean? Like, and I I said it in our first podcast, I, I know without question that like, if you go to a restaurant and you have a bad experience, you'll probably go back. I might give it two weeks or three months or six months, but you probably go try them again. As a food truck owner, I get one chance to get your business. So our customer service has to be above and beyond. So we need, I'm always looking for something that will take us to the next level. For example, if we burn a pizza or if we put a hole in one and it's still edible, you just get an extra pizza. You know what I mean? Throwing it away is a waste of food. And the look on people's faces when you hand them something that they are not expecting, an extra pizza, and it just may be the, the crust that's burned, more than likely it is in, in our case because of you know the temperatures that we cook at. It's just a crust that's burned uh, and the, the interior of the pizza is completely edible. It really changes the way that they look at you um, or the way that they look at us and and know that they're getting, you know what I mean? Like we're going above and beyond. And that's the entire premise of the book. He would say, you know, he when people would walk into his restaurant, 
he would ask them where they were parked. And if they would park on the street, he would just go feed the meter for them so that they didn't have to worry about that. It's a cost, you know, a dollar or two a customer that makes a lasting impression on the way that they view you and your establishment. And, um, and we are getting ready to expand into a brick and mortar. Um, feels like it's never going to get done, but uh, they're like renovating the building. We were going to do this, this big space, 8,000 square feet and have a, like a flex space and uh, all the stuff that just turned out to be too big for us. So we ended up landing on a um, 600 square foot. We're going to do just a walkout pizza spot um, in the small town of Goldsboro, North Carolina that we live in. And um, in addition to the truck and that's, I want to put the practices of like this fine, you know, what was voted the world's best restaurant at 11 Madison park into how do we make our small walkout pizza spot as customer service oriented as 11 Madison park? Obviously the two are not in the same stratosphere in the same universe. You know what I mean? But like, I want people to feel like we appreciate them every single time they come to walk in our door or come to our window um, and leave a lasting impression of customer service on them. That's the most important thing to me because people will go back for shitty pizza, but they will really come back for customer service. Yeah. And I love this because I agree that parking meter thing, it's people don't realize it's like when you're working on your business and not in your business, it's all these things that you stack up in addition to your main service or product that matters. And so I agree with this 100%. I agree it's about anticipating what the customer needs, okay, or the customer wants. You have to anticipate that. You have to know beyond just the food. You have to understand what their their hardships are. What are they going through to get to your restaurant? What are they doing to get to your food truck? What are they doing to get to your brick and mortar, okay? And when you start thinking and actually putting yourself in the shoes of the customer and actually – talking to them or getting feedback from them um you know it goes a long way so talk to me about this because we we haven't talked about this before how did you guys decide to go into brick and mortar um what does that look like and you know talk to me a little bit about that how are you going to still run the food trailer and a brick and mortar for example well it was always on the plan the the crawl walk run plan for uh, Brickswood Fire Pizza Company is to start in the food truck. And there's a, we have uh, good friends that own Goldsboro Brew Works. Uh, and there are a couple of scumbag airplane mechanics like me that did six years in the Air Force and have a, a, a brewery in our small town. And one of the guys, his name is Carson Clark, said, um, make all the mistakes that you can in the food truck. And because um, we were offered a place in Kinston, we were offered a place in another town to the south of us uh, called Clinton. We were offered several places and finally landed on um, on this place just because the rent is cheap. This is an opportunity to like, <coughs> excuse me, um, continue to to grow at a. It, this is scalable. You know what I mean? To go from a food truck to eight thousand square foot places is just not really practical. I would have loved to have do it to have done it. My heart is a little bit broken every time I see that this beautiful building that was built in nineteen twenty five um, that. I know what it could be and what we could make it, but it's just not practical. I'm not willing to put my family in jeopardy or, you know what I mean? Take out a ridiculous loan to make that happen. And it would have been, you know, a six figure cost to get that place what it needed to be. This place is 600 square feet. You know what I mean? The rental agency is going to like 
they're going to uh, renovate the building and then it's my job to make it a restaurant and no seats inside. There'll be seats outside, you know, a couple on the sidewalk, but like we're going to do things in that place that will expand our menu that we've always wanted to do like focaccia bread sandwiches and we'll be able to make tiramisu every day and, and I'll have a way to boil water, for example, that I don't have in the food truck and um, be able to do salads and sandwiches and pizzas to get with the goal of being to get people to come to us and eat with us multiple times a week and get to eat something different. Um, we will also have our menu. Like uh, there's the, the, the company link L I N Q that has these little plastic um, L shaped things with a QR code. So people can just touch their phone to this thing and our online menu comes up and then we're going to put them at every, there's four local bars in our downtown within walking distance. And, um, and they can just order online. And then the hope is that we have the staffing to be able to deliver to these bars on, you know, an electric scooter or a trike or whatever that turns out to be just to create to, so that people can continue to enjoy themselves and have a pizza show up. That's hot and fresh. And, uh, and, and they can enjoy themselves without leaving the bar, regardless of what food truck is out front. Um, and that is the thing. And then our, the, the, the other part of it that's really, really great is that the rent in that place is cheaper than my truck payment. So uh, when we started this, I had to buy, I bought a 2015 or 2016 F-250. Um, it was like 50 grand and we financed it. The, so when this place is up and running, we will sell the truck and sell the trailer and then buy a, a more traditional food truck that I don't have to drive because nobody's going to drive the people that work for me don't want to drive my F-250 with a 30-foot trailer, 28-foot trailer behind it. Um, so that way I don't have to be involved. But we're booked for caterings through 2024. We make wedding pizza. And we do pizza buffets. And and we are really, really good at uh, at the, the catering piece. And um, so for the cost of what we're spending now, we can have two businesses. So that was it's just a no-brainer to us to do that. And then... Um, also, our goal is one a year. So first year was a food truck. This year is the walkout spot downtown. And then we'll see what next year is. But, I mean, we don't need to take any money out of this business, so we don't. And our intent is to, just to continue growing and, and moving forward. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. You just anchored something. I think it's important. You just said I'm, we're not taking any money out of our business. You're re- basically reinvesting it in. Talk to me about that mindset. Why? What? What? What's the significance of it? Where'd you come up with that idea? Why do that? <laughs> well, for a long time, it was because we weren't making any money. Um, but I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to have a retirement from the U.S. military that pays. We live in a small town. You know, the cost of living is really inexpensive here. So my retirement pays all of our bills. My wife still has a job in civilian. She works as a, a civilian on Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. And um, so her her paycheck goes to, you know, all the additional stuff in life. And we just don't need it. So we don't take it. Uh, once in a while, I'll take some tip money or something like that. But really, we know where we want to get. So we can't do that if we're taking money out of the food truck to go have a vacation or anything like that. So it just kind of all rolls back into it. <coughs> Excuse me. 
I agree with you. And if you celebrate too quickly, people lose interest in your business for some reason. I don't know why. Yes. Even if you have the best product ever, if you start bragging about the success of your business, you're not reinvesting in your business and growing it and having that mentality. Weirdly, customers sense it and it almost repels them. I don't even know how to describe the energy, but it happens time and time again. I see it all the time, especially with entrepreneurs who have a lot of success two to three years in and then they start posting their vacations and their cars and their houses and it's just like womp womp. And you anger People are the drawn employees. to humility. Yep, exactly. Um, and it, listen, I've learned that the hard way, guys, as a food entrepreneur who had massive success very quickly, doing hundreds of thousands of meals across the country, and millions of meals a year, actually, at a very young age, at 18, as I discussed before. And so you have to be very careful because perception means a lot, but you need to do it honestly. Don't do it as a gimmick. Don't. You know, you need to realize that at the beginning, you need to reinvest in your business, not o- only money, but time. Because people are drawn to the titans that are building the businesses. And a titan doesn't go on vacation. Name Henry Ford going on vacation. I think he went hunting, and I just learned this. He actually invented the the barbecue charcoal of Kingsford. It used to be Ford uh, thing, and then he sold it off because he didn't want to be in that anymore. His word, it would ruin his band. But he created a grill and uh, a little barbecue thing that eventually would would go, and I don't want to say he invented it. Um, He discovered it in a way, uh, rediscovered it in a way, and branded it and sold it in all of his uh, car dealerships, and it failed at first because (laughs) barbecuing during the – during the Great Depression look like what poor people did or, or people that didn't have homes anymore. So, you know, you can't have a quality brand and stuff like that. So that's some of the things I'm talking about. Be aware of what you're doing, okay? We could all be eating Ford charcoal right now if it wasn't for the Great Depression <laughs> or eating off of charcoal and maybe not even have gas because that guy was quite a powerhouse, but that's not the way life works, okay? So I want to, you know, I went on a little tangent there, but I think it's important what you said. There's a mindset there. So, okay, you're you're expanding. You have the food trailer. We talked about employees and team members. How are you finding them? How are you hiring them? How are you training them? I got really, really, really lucky is the answer. Like we hired three girls right off the bat. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, one of them was our babysitter. She was kind of the first to to come to work with us. And it and at first she was just a cashier. And our production was very slow because I was afraid to like let her do anything. So she would take the orders and I would make the pizza, like flop the dough, make the pizza, go back, cook the pizza, and then go on to the next order. And then I was like, Do you want to learn to cook? And she said, Yeah. So um she and then this girl Erica, who we actually just promoted to our general manager. Uh, her name is Erica Hoffman, and um, she's amazing. She's the an absolute powerhouse in everything that she does, and she is just one of those people that can't sit still. So she comes and it started. She started the exact same way, both of them. Like they just were cashiers. And Erica answered a um, a Facebook ad. So Erica answered the Facebook ad, and then did that. And I was like, let's do. We did this thing at my house where I made some dough. They came over. We called it Floppapalooza. And um, I made some dough with the intent of throwing it away. But I taught them how to flop it out. And that's a flopping, doing like a Neapolitan flop is a difficult technique to get used to. But cooking Neapolitan pizza is pretty simple. 
you just stick it in there and it's got to be rotated and there is a lot of technique to it, but it's a, a easier, it's, it's easier to pick up the technique. So we cooked a few pizzas and then boom, both girls. I was like, if you learn to do this, I'll pay you another dollar an hour. And uh, so they learned to cook. And then my life got significantly easier because now I don't have to run because we, because of the 800 degrees that our pizzas, our ovens run at, and we live in the South and it's about to be summertime and 95 degrees with hundred percent humidity. Our ovens are in the back of the trailer and we make pizza in the front where the air conditioning is. So now I don't have to make as many trips. Life is much better. And then we hired another girl, Ollie, who is the same thing. Um, and we just trust them. You know what I mean? Like I, I said it in my first, the first podcast that I did with you, <coughs> excuse me. I'm so sorry. Um, that we want to, them to know that we really appreciate the fact that they trust us enough to work for us. And that is how I approach management and leadership in my little pizza company is that they don't have to do that. Um, and giving us their time means a lot to me. Um, and that's why we promoted Erica to, to general manager because she just is so amazing. Um, and, and Gary V said, uh, a silly quote from Gary V said, hire fast, fire faster, promote the fastest. Yeah. So that's, that's the, what we that's do. That's the real, that's the truth, not the hire slow, fire fast. It's actually no. exactly what we're talking about right there. Yeah. Hire fast, f- fire faster. We've done that as well. Um, and promote the fast. And Erica deserved it. And every time we get somebody, um, like a, a, we hire a new person, um, I tell them without question, listen, if you ever want to to get promoted in, in here, all you have to do is work harder than Erica and that's it. You know what I mean? Which nobody's going to. And it's kind of the running joke um, because she's so amazing. And, and is like not only a great person, she gives great customer service, but she, she comes on her day, you know, when we're not out making, she comes on prep days and cu- cuts meat and cleans the trailer and does stuff to help me because there's, you know, I run all of our everything. So, um, I mean, really we just treat them like family and, uh, and that's how we we get by it. And we've again been really, really fortunate to have a group of people that really wants to be there and appreciates what we do. Yeah, I want to anchor this what you just said um, in a few different ways. The first is um, in my career in New York and in California, I had to deal with unions. Okay, and so there's this expectation of just increases every year. You know, that's the way we negotiated it. That's the way we negotiated the contracts with the unions. And so it just became an entitlement, especially after 24 years, it almost becomes an expectation that they're owed it, okay? Here's where I messed up, guys, even in Virginia and even in Georgia where I started to figure this out, is if you want more money, you need to attach it into your businesses. And I know unions are hard, but you need to attach it to learning more that benefits your business. And we just talked about, if you want to learn to cook, I'll give you an extra dollar an hour. One, it... It allows the manager or the owners of the business to train someone and become good at training people and then training someone to train others, okay? And I love that. And what it also does, what Nick just did, whether he realizes it or not, he's creating an incentive plan. Because if I can inch my way up to $20 an hour, $25 an hour by learning more for the business, it's going to benefit the business, okay? And if promotions are done incrementally, 
uh, through skill and hard work, as well as learning and the knowledge that's required to run the business or be effective supporting growing individuals, meaning I want to grow the individuals so they're replaceable, meaning they're replaceable at that position, but they can increase the in the business, not I'm replacing them in my business, but I'm replacing them in that position. It's hugely beneficial to your businesses, okay? And you need to figure out, we need to figure out, you need, I'm, I'm almost telling everyone, we want to figure out how to do this in our businesses from a very early state. How do we incentivize those things, okay? And in this example, I'm going to give something to Nick here. It's also, you get a dollar for learning how to cook, and when you train someone else to to learn how to cook as I promote, you'll get another 50 cents per hour, you know, increase because now you've trained someone. Now I'm incentivizing you to train people, but that goes away if you stop training people. So just as easy as they come, they can go. Okay. So it be like, okay, this is the standard. Now you've set it by agreeing to, to, to that increase. You've agreed to it by taking on that responsibility. You can't just say, I'll learn how to cook and then not cook and still expect the dollar per hour, for example. Okay, you either need to be cooking or training someone to cook, in my opinion, in that scenario that we're talking about, and then eventually outgrow that, you know, and manage the people who are training the people who are overseeing the people that are cooking, if I were to draw this out even further. So I love that, Nick. I think you're 100% spot on there. And I think that in life, we really need to look at that is how are we actually incentivizing people? What is it actually tied to? And are we entitling or giving entitlement to people versus knowledge and growth and what I would call dignity. Stop. We rob people of the dignity of growth and human experience and happiness and joy that is achieved through growth by just giving them, oh, uh, here you go, inflation. Here's a 3% increase. No. Okay. Inflation happens no matter what. I get it. We want to adjust for it. But don't tie it to the inflation, tie it to increasing them as humans because inflation will forever happen and it becomes an entitlement thing. Just saying, learned it the hard way, did it almost for 22 years before I learned to do it differently. And then when I try to change it, oh my God, forget about it. They were all like, I, I, we had conditioned them to accept it. So um, I love that you talked about that, Nick, and I think it's important uh, for the audience to hear that for sure. Um, I also think it's important for the audience to hear that even though you have a food truck and trailer, you're willing to downsize it as you go into your brick and mortar to be more flexible with, say, a food truck, especially since now your new location almost acts like a commissary for your trailer or your future food truck. So I love that as well. I also love that you always want to be intentional with making a step forward every year, okay? And by consciously reinvesting in your business, that's the only way to set you up to keep doing that. You know, and I want to anchor that with everyone too. At the beginning, like believe me, it was a long time before we made any money, even with multi-million dollar contracts, hundreds of millions of dollars in food we did every year. It was still hard to make money because we were trying to grow. And the minute, I will say this, we started getting comfortable and taking money out of the businesses too much, it was a slippery slope and people started again expecting the business partners, the employees we were giving bonuses to on a regular basis started, it became an expectation. It didn't become something earned. It didn't become something through knowledge. We didn't tie it together properly. 
you know, my mistake. I didn't know. I, I, you know, there was a time I thought money motivated everyone and it's just not true. And, um, so I like that we're talking about this. Uh, let's talk about your menu a little bit. Um, and you know, what is, do you only offer pizza right now? Is that your main thing? Do you offer anything else? And if I'm coming up to you, what type of, you know, what are your staples? What are your most popular? I know we talked about it in part one, but I'm just curious if it's changed. And I would love to share it with the audience again, for sure. So, yes, we just make pizza. Uh, we are limited in the truck. We commissary in the, in the trailer. So I don't have any way. Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. I could find a way if, if we really wanted to. But right now we're doing well with just pizza. Um, and we were, we had talked about having salads and, and a bunch of other stuff, but the, I have to look at like the rate of return on my time to prep those things versus how many of them will sell. And right now nothing beats pizza when it comes to the rate of return on my time. So um, that's why we, we just do pizza and we do the same I think that we we have, you know, I don't know, whatever, eight pizzas or nine pizzas with the same five ingredients, basically. You know what I mean? We use round pepperoni that makes a pepperoni pizza. And then we also take pepperoni and salami and cut them into sticks and then slice prosciutto. And then uh, we have like, um, you know, pre-made, very processed Italian sausage and bacon. And those are, those. that's our meats. And then, you know, everything is kind of based around that in, in different combinations of those same ingredients. We make a lot of different pizzas. We just added chicken. Um, I had a hard time finding a chicken that we liked that was pre-made because I have, we could absolutely in our ovens cook pizza. But again, the time investment that it would take, or I'm sorry, cook chicken, the time investment that it would take to cook that chicken and then to slice that chicken and cool it properly. You know what I mean? And like to, to go through all the safe handling steps to get it to the point where it's pre-cooked and ready to go on a pizza is not worth the investment of time. Well, that's why I didn't do pizza. That's why I did chicken or or proteins and cook them. Like I couldn't. It's hard to do both, even as a multi million dollar business, mega For multi million. Sure. So anyway, it's awful. go ahead. It so is we, awful trying to manage one or the other. Yeah. So we 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 have stuck with pizza, um, and we we make a pizza called the Brick. It is the by far our number one seller. Um, it's a pizza that I came up with back a long time ago when I was in the fighter squadron. And, um, and it's just, it's a, a matchstick pepperoni, um, sal- matchstick salami, and then cheese and prosciutto. And then we, it comes out of the oven and we put a little fresh basil on top. It's very, very simple. And it's delicious. It's like a fancy meat lovers. Uh, it is hands down our most popular pizza. We come up with one called uh, sweet and salty stinger. That's got salami, prosciutto, and uh, a little pesto on the bottom. And then Mike's hot honey. Cause you know, I saw people like the hot honey trend was going off. Um, like I said, we just started doing a, a buffalo chicken pizza um, and it's delicious. Like a, a buffalo chicken bacon ranch is fantastic. It's just a really, it's wet. It's a little bit wet, but it's really, really good. We make a chicken pesto. There's a lot of people that don't eat pork. And for a long time, all of our ingredients were pork. So they would eat like a veggie pizza or a margarita. Um, so we're excited to have finally found a, a chicken that is delicious enough that I want to serve it on one of our pizzas. Um, and then we do breadsticks and cheese sticks and the, and the breadsticks and cheese sticks are made from the same dough. It's just flopped out differently. Um, 
and it's prepared a little bit differently. We got one of those, like, I don't even know what they're called, but like the roller things with the, the, the puncture, the dough, just so that it, cause Neapolitan dough, pizza dough will inflate quickly in the oven. So it aerates the dough and it's good. A little uh, olive oil and cheese or regular olive oil. You know, our breadsticks are just a flopped out dough ball that's been aerated with olive oil and then cooked and it's golden brown and you dip it in sauce and it's fantastic. I love that. I agree with that. I, you do that in um, donuts as well when they, the rise donuts, because you need to yeah. get the, the air out of there. You need those holes um, a lot of the time as well. Um, I know some companies don't do that, but it, it does turn out to be a better, fluffier product, both in pizza and in donuts or in baking, um, in my opinion. But that's here nor there. There's all sorts of type of different baking. But with donuts and pizza, I, I agree. It, it helps keep it level um, and helps aerate it and helps the flavor taste better. I don't know why, but it just it works. So I'm not even going to question it. I don't understand fully the science and baking and yeast and rising dough and all that stuff. I wasn't in that side of food, and I've started to get to understand it. That's why I'm like, how the fuck did you get into pizza, man? Because there's just so proofing alone and dough alone and all that it's and, and humidity and all that shit plays a role that doesn't happen when I cook a chicken breast. Okay, I get it. Chicken breasts are different sizes. They're different shapes. The chicken may have been fed different things, but generally it's going to be like, you know, 425 degrees for whatever, you know, 20 minutes, for example. Yep. You know, it, really it, it doesn't matter what sauce I put on it. It doesn't matter how I vary it. It's pretty much the same no matter what. Okay, uh, that's not true for pizza and dough and everything. It's not universal. Okay, and that's the crazy part about baking. And in my business, I always had our, our chef. You know, our main one is paying the fucking ass all the time. Never wanted to do anything. He especially didn't want to do baking. I will give him credit on this one. Now that I've learned a lot about baking, thank God I didn't try to do baking on a massive scale because it varies so much. So how do you deal with that variation all the time? I mean, do you just adjust? Have you got Learn. it down to a system where yes. you know it? Um, yes. And so, talk to me a little bit about that. We, it. First of all, I went to Pizza University. Uh, I, I can't recommend them enough. It's put on by Mara Forney Pizza Ovens. It's in Beltsville, Maryland. It's a three-day class. It was like it was pretty expensive, but I learned how to make Neapolitan pizza from the best Neapolitan pizza chefs on the planet, and it was worth every penny. And everything that they taught me, I use today in the way that we make pizza every single day. So that's number one. Number two, like in the last year, we didn't know. So we were we're about to come into the hottest part of the year here in the South, you know what I mean? June, July, and August are miserable hot. And we were overproofing dough like crazy. We were making direct dough, um, which means like no pre-ferment or anything. We're just direct dough. And then um, I went to Pizza University at the end of September uh, and things were cooling off. And I came back and we switched to um, making dough out of Biga. So Biga is like, a, it's a pre-ferment. Um, and we all winter long, we used Biga and Biga makes the yeast really, really active and really, really excited, which is what you need when the weather's cold to get the same effect. And two months ago, we stopped using Biga and we're back to a direct dough because um, a direct dough, the fresh yeast that we use isn't as active. So it doesn't overproof as easily. And also this year, we're really, really cognizant of 
we will pull dough out of the, we cold ferment our dough. So everything goes in the refrigerator and it's like the yeast slows down and it provides a, a larger depth of flavor for a couple of days. Um, but as it comes out of the fridge, we now stagger it. So we don't pull it out at, all out at the same time because the first box that you make will be perfect. And then by the time you get to the fourth box of dough, um, it's now overproved. So we stagger everything and we kind of learn timetables based off of what the temperature and humidity is on when is appropriate to pull the dough out and how we're making the dough. When we go into the restaurant, we will all, we will go back to Bigo because I can regulate the temperature of the inside because uh, dough made from Bigo, I think is way better. There's way more flavor. Uh, it's delicious. <clears throat> yeah, I agree with that. When you activate the yeast in that way and you have a more of a controlled environment, it does taste better. But as someone who's ruined donuts and ruined pizza balls uh, recently, because as I'm learning this stuff, I overproof stuff and I didn't realize how temperature outside, you know, makes such a huge difference and if the temperature inside is fluctuating or someone's messing with that stuff or the humidity in the building it and when it comes to baking it's a nightmare and if you're in georgia holy crap the humidity down there throws you in a loophole and you're pretty far down there as well i'm just like what is going on here even nashville the humidity and stuff even though it's not as bad as georgia per se it's way different than trying to cook say in colorado that has no humidity right but it's so, just math problems. The only way to yep. get better at doing math problems is to do lots and lots of math problems. Yeah, which is interesting because if you're in the pizza business, if I'm in the chicken business, it's fry it, you know, 425 or whatever, 14 minutes. Okay, if it's a chicken breast, bone in especially. But if it's pizza, you've got to adjust to altitude. You've got to adjust to different things, especially as a, if you were to grow your business. So I think that's one of the coolest things that I love about you know, dough and baking and stuff like that is the intellect that needs to go into it comparatively. And that's not saying that everyone is, there isn't food and chemistry and science and flavors. Don't get me wrong. I'm not calling one industry better than the other, but there's a different type of intellect that goes into baking or making pizza or donuts or whatever, or bagels or whatever. It's just different. Okay. Um, Okay, I'm going to ask another question here. Let's talk about leadership, and I think we touched upon it the last episode a little bit, but let's talk about leadership skills. And we talked about the employees that you have and, and, and sort of what's going on, but in an ideal world, what are the leadership skills that you're looking for in the individuals to help you grow your business as an entrepreneur? It's a very good question. Um, the I think the cornerstone of leader of leadership is humility for sure like i'm looking for someone that knows what they don't know um like with erica when we promoted her she doesn't have a lot of leadership experience but i know that she's teachable and that's my favorite thing about her and that's why we promoted her so she is a person that I can tell something to one time and she doesn't need to be repeated. So, I mean, that, the, the ability to be humble, the ability to be taught, um, and, uh, also do like, I think do as I say, not as I do does not exist in leadership. So you have to live it. So, uh, she lives it. She does everything that she says, she does. She does. And it's the same thing with me. Like I would never, I, I, I don't, 
expect people to do things differently than I do because I own the company. You know what I mean? Like I'm still just one of you. I'm still here making every day. I'm making pizza. Um, and I'm just fortunate enough to get to have my name on the side of it or a, a piece of my name because bricks is Brittany and Nick's. Um, but that's it. Like, uh, and, and the ability to like relate to people, I think is also really, really important to feel empathy. Um, cause it's in the end, I think it's more important to be kind than it is to be right. So there's a time when it happens often when I'm right and it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, um, being nice is, is the trumps everything. Yeah, I love that as well. And I agree, kind-hearted, um, patience, uh, which is love. And, and everyone, you know, patience is love. If you read the Bible or you believe in God um, and Jesus, you, you can see the correlation there. Um, if you if you really want to know what it's all about, it's about patience and uh, the dignity to allow others to grow. And that's in business too. Even though you're training people, you want to give them the dignity to learn on their own too and fail forward as we just talked about earlier. Um that being said, Nick, will you define success for me? How do you see what is success to you and, and, and what is being successful in life and in business mean to you as an entrepreneur? I, I just want to define it because we all see it differently. I have no idea. Success in life is not raising an asshole. That's number one. I have a seven-year-old daughter that is awesome. And like making her a good human is success in life. And like, you know, being able to cover all my bets. So um, I think that life is about relationships and surrounding yourself with people that make you better. You know, so I want my, my daughter, one of the reasons that we built this whole thing was to sh show my daughter um, what hard work will get you. So our intent is to work really, really hard for 10 years and then grow something that is bigger than us. And then so that she can see it from cradle to grave. Um, and, but our success in the business, I have no idea. We're still developing that. It changes every single day. Um, we just got a Facebook review from someone um, in another town that had our pizza and gave us, a, a stellar review about how good our pizza was, but also how good our customer service was. And that to me, those, those little wins are our success. I don't, and I certainly don't have it like a dollar amount. You know, it would be great to like get to go buy a hot rod with money that I made from pizza. But if we don't ever, then that's fine too. Like I don't have to go to work for somebody else. And that is the other part of my success is, is being able to just do this thing for me. Yeah, God, I'm going to say this and I can't believe I'm going to say it because I think being an entrepreneur is often chasing the toys and the trophies that I call them. But as a person who's bought the hot rods and had the really and have has had the nice houses and the lake houses and the toys and the wave runners and multiple cars and ATVs. God damn, I love all those things. But nothing's as good as growing your business and growing the humans in your business. I don't even know how to describe it. Like hindsight, I would have rather invested in businesses or creating businesses than some of those things and, and getting those trophies because that trophy of growing a business and growing the humans, it's great. And eventually you do have to sometimes take money out of your company. You can't just let it sit there and be taxed to death. 
um, at least in the United States. And but holy crap, you know, hindsight, 24 years or, you know, do mowing lawns since I was three uh, and, and really started mowing lawns as a business when I was five. Um, just it, it, it changes my perspective now because I used to chase a lot of things and want my family to be comfortable and have a legacy, which I have all those things. But at the end of the day, now that all of that's happened, I realize that still I took for granted the fulfillment of the growth. I took for granted the fulfillment and the growth that happened with my family. It wasn't always about being able to buy them nice things or put them through college. I agree that's all important in covering our bets. But holy crap, at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, the things I enjoyed most was growing the business, being in the trailers, being in the kitchens, out there meeting with the clients, the growth, the relationships that happen. Um, so I just want to say that for everyone. I know success tends to be monetarily, but then when it comes, which I know it is a gift and I'm not taking it for granted because I understand the success comparatively to other people. But what I am saying um, and I also understand my lack of success compared to other people. And I will say that it's about the mindset of how we reward or what our trophies really are and should be. Okay. And what you said about not raising an asshole, that is a big one. You know, our legacies, our negative family patterns that we can stop now, the negative family patterns we can stop for other people who are employees and team members in our businesses by living by core values, by doing the right thing in our business, by not making it only about the money or the transactional relationship between a business and an employee. Okay, so there's all of those things. Um, it's going to be my second to last question because I have two more for you and we're going to have to do a part three because I don't think I even got through most of my questions, which is not abnormal for me these days because I, I tend to just want the conversation to keep going. I am going to anchor something real quick. Mike's Hot Honey. Love that shit. I love that you're doing that. Um, I love that Mike's Hot Honey uh, under Patrick Ewing's shoe brand. Everyone should look up Ewing Athletics. It's pretty badass. He's making a run at it. Him and his kids at uh, shoes and basketball shoes are pretty sweet. There is a Mike's Hot Honey shoe. And weirdly, I get a lot of thank yous sometimes. It depends on the individuals, but sometimes I get thank yous from individuals that are on the podcast and they'll send me like a food pop because everyone knows I love food pops. Weird, guilty pleasure. I just like the food pop thing. And in pops, I mean the little dolls with the bobbleheads. Yes, I'm a, still a child at heart. That's why I do what I do so I don't have to grow up. I'm Peter Pan, damn it. And um, in some ways, I'm grown up. In other ways, I like being a kid and creative and living in that world as an entrepreneur. But also someone, I have random people sometimes give me shoes. I've gotten a few pairs of Air Jordans as a, a Christmas or birthday gifts and thank yous and stuff like that. But I got a pair of these Mike Hot Honey uh, Patrick Ewing shoes. And I hate to say it, they're badass, okay? And I really love this trend because like, just like Nike Air had the bagel shoes, there's all, and there's all sorts of different foods. I have a, a pair of shoes someone gave me that, um, the ice cream, it's the you know, strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate ice cream, the Neapolitan or whatever ice cream. I can't remember exactly how, what it's called, but it's a cool shoe. It's a Nike Air also. So I just want to anchor Mike's Hot Honey share with the audience out there how much influence food is having on the world right now, why it's trending so much on Instagram, why shoe companies are collaborating with food companies, because food's at the forefront right now, guys. It's leading social media. It gets the most views on TikTok. It gets the most views on Instagram. It gets the most popularity on LinkedIn and Facebook. So you're in the right field. So 
Let's talk about um, this um, because I think like success happens in a lot of ways. People are like, oh, Patrick Ewing was success. He's a millionaire. He does commentary. Why the fuck would you start a shoe company? Okay. And again, it goes back to you're never done. In that moment, no matter how many trophies Patrick Ewing has, there's nothing like growing individuals and growing a business and the reward in it. Sorry. Same with Shaquille O'Neal. The guy's a freaking titan in business if we're talking about basketball. So, Nick, talk to me about the feeling. I just want to anchor it or the the conversation with your with your wife or the feeling that came over you guys when you sort of went from what I would call um, not making money, even though you were making money, I would call it losing money and having to reinvest money back in the business to actually being self-sustaining. Talk to me the feeling you had. Talk to me if you remember when that happened and the conversation sort of that took place when you realized it. Um, we were fortunate enough that we've always been profitable. Um, and I think a lot of that is because we took a low risk and did a food truck. So we had low overhead. Um, and we took a hit when I had to buy a truck, but like we're since the first month that we were open, we've made a couple hundred bucks a month in the green. We've never been in the red. Um, and that is a thing that is not common. I don't think to anybody, like we didn't just jump right in and spend 250,000 bucks on a restaurant or a hundred thousand dollars on a restaurant. I spent $50,000 on a food truck. And then I spent $50,000 on a pickup. And, um, we make enough to cover all of our bills. Plus it's a slow growth, um, you know, two to $500 a month in the green. And that's, that's it. So it's increasing as we get more popular. Um, and every time that we meet somebody outside of the food truck and they say, what do you, you know, what do you do? What are we on a food truck? Well, what food truck? Brickswood Fire Pizza Company. And their face lights up and knows who they know who we are. That is its own currency to us. Um, and like when we expand into the, to the brick and mortar right now, if we do, you know, one event, we're hoping to sell 60 pizzas. If we do two events, we're hoping to sell like a hundred pizzas a day. In the brick and mortar, I'm hoping to, to sell 100 pizzas every day on a slow day, and um, and that's when I think that we'll get start to really get profitable, uh, as as well as salads and sandwiches. Yeah, I love that, and I'm just going to anchor this for you. And on Monday night football, or Thursday night football, or Sunday football, once football season starts, you should be able to do 300 pizzas a day. Yeah, we're going to go after that pretty heavy because. I swear to God, I've never seen, I did not realize it, and everyone talks about it, and I know Buffalo Wings and all that shit, but holy crap, when football season starts, the amount of pizza that goes out, the amount of wings, the amount of ordering that people do during those times, people just don't want to cook when it's football time. It's like, if it's not on the barbecue, we're ordering that shit in, especially if it's late at night, Monday night football, or Thursday night football. It's the craziest thing, so... I will say this also to any drivers that are listening in or you're in the delivery game. Once football season starts, Monday and Tuesdays are not your slowest days anymore. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, interestingly, are Mondays, or I should say Thursdays through Wednesdays. I mean, Thursdays through Sundays are now your most popular days because you have sporting events, especially uh, during the fall and August as that starts picking up. In the summertime, 
the delivery business is a little bit slower because people are going outside and they're actually going out to eat. That's just the way it is. Uh, it does pick up in some communities. Denver does very well. Nashville will always do well in the delivery game because of the tourism, period. So just to anchor that with everyone. So this is my last question for you, Nick. Um, even though I really have like, actually I just counted on my 11 more questions for you. So we're gonna have to do a part three, if that's cool with you. Sure, yeah. But you mentioned before you were always told to pump the brakes. Talk to me about this. Talk to me about how you had to change your mindsets once you realized that it was about hitting the gas, not the brakes. And talk to me about like what you mean by always told about that. What was the reason you were always told to pump the brakes? What was going on inside of you that that was going on? So when I was in the military, uh, can I go back one second to like, you talked earlier about seasons Um, where I live in Eastern North Carolina, the summertime is our dead season because everybody that lives inland goes to the beach. So anyway, uh, we're we're excited to open our restaurant because it will be in September when everybody comes back and exactly what you said at fall time. So we're prepared to crush that. Anyway, to your next point, your next question, um, when I was in the military, I've always been like an idea guy. And, you know, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. So I wanted to do things differently and kind of above and beyond. Um, and I was always told, like, it's not necessary. You don't need to go to those lengths. You know what I mean? Like throttle back. And me having my own place where there is no limit the only limit is how hard I want to work. And the only limit is, is me is f- amazing. And it's the reason that I don't ever want to have a job. Um, I think that the easy way to get hot rods and cars and, you know, lake houses is to go get a job because they'll pay you and you have security and you can make a lot more money than being an entrepreneur. Um, but now I can just go as hard and as far as I can dream. And that that's really the thing is, is being able to come up with an idea at three o'clock in the morning. Cause as we're all awake at three o'clock in the morning. There's no denying that I think for many of us. Um, and then getting up, having a cup of coffee and like fleshing it out and there's no ceiling. So you, I can just go as hard as I want and, uh, and continue to fail you know, try something it, from an idea I had at three o'clock in the morning. If it works great, if not, then scrap it and, you know, push it off the deck of the carrier and, and move on to the next thing. So, um, I, I, I have had a lot of leaders in my military career that either wanted to make themselves look good. I, I don't even know if that's true, but they just said, you don't need to do that. That's taking it too far. And, Um, And I'm thrilled to finally have the opportunity to just go as far as I want. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. And even as an entrepreneur, when I've had business partners or family members or people, managers or executives that were in our company that were, you know, supposedly helping the difference, it was that with me all the time too. Even as a growing business that did very well and grew over 24 years, it was always slow down, pump the brakes, whatever. But when we didn't, we grew. When everyone accepted it, we did well. But the people that say pump the brakes are the ones who fear growth generally. And they're fearing to do something different. I get it. Don't fix it if it's not broken. However, it will break eventually. That's what people don't realize when they say, oh, don't fix it if it's not broken. Well, if we're not maintaining it and we're not 
doing better for it. It's going to break eventually, and it's going to get outdated. And they can't see your vision. Yeah. Like, I'm re- I've am i learned the hard way to be really cautious about what advice I take and who I take it from. And to take the advice that I get and process it and either throw it off the edge of the cliff or, you know, hold on to it and move forward. But they can't see, you know, your vision for your company is your vision and nobody should get in the way of that. Yeah. It took me a long time to consider the source as you're talking about, like, who's the source? Um, Have they actually done it? Where are they talking from? Like we're fear-based animals as humans extremely. And most humans will avoid pain hurt, suffering, discomfort in any way, shape, or form. It's kind of crazy, actually, because I don't know a life without it. Uh, hardship, hurt, For pain, real. even with money, even with without money, it's all the same. At the end of the day, I get money makes things easier. I Believe me, I'm not putting that down. But I am saying that the hardship, the pain, the loss, the loss of family members, the loss of businesses, it doesn't necessarily get any better because you have money or don't have money. Okay, life may be a little bit less stressful, but the reality is if we're not growing and we're not uh, challenging ourselves and we're not dealing with our fear straight on and we're getting too comfortable, it's never we're never going to be happy with or without money. That's all I'm saying to the audience. So I'm not saying not to pursue it. I'm not saying not to be profitable. I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm not saying you don't want to build family legacies that your children and grandchildren can't have financially or businesses to build off them. But what I am saying is, again, if it's the only reward, it's probably not good. And if you have so much fear, you can't grow your business or notice opportunities because fixing what's not broken means you're not going to take advantage of opportunities to maybe do way better than the thing you're trying not to fix. Okay. And this is my favorite line. I'm going to say this because I heard this in my company, especially after 20 years all the time. Well, that's not the FSP way. Well, okay. I'm sorry. There should be no FSP way unless it's growth change and, and accepting that we don't know shit on a regular basis and accepting that you don't know shit, even though you're a successful business, allows you to keep growing your business and the humans and everyone around you properly. And no one should be comfortable. I'm sorry. Businesses are not about making people comfortable. And you don't want people that like comfort. To the point of your general manager, she's constantly going, why? Because she's in discomfort. She wants everything to do well. She's constantly seeking comfort Uh, through doing things well, even though she knows it's going to be discomfort every single day. Every time she goes in, it's like starting all over again, but it's embracing it. And then it's making improvements. And if you guys can't make improvements and you can't grow, then what's the point, guys? Like, what's the point? We grow as humans, period. And if our bodies are decaying, our brains are still growing. Just saying. So, um, Nick, thank you very much. Where can they find you online? Where can they find you on social media? Uh, we don't have a website because uh, we don't require one at the moment. Uh, but Bricks WF Pizza Co on uh, Gmail or I'm sorry on Instagram, Bricks Woodfire Pizza Company on Instagram, um, and all of our uh, details are there. Uh, and if you are ever in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and you Google Bricks Woodfire Pizza Company, uh, you can order online through the Toast app. Amazing. Anything you want to say to the audience, to the other entrepreneurs that are out there listening uh, before we go? I assume they all know more than me. So uh, we'll just uh, end it there. So I I appreciate your time. It's really nice to come back. I really, really appreciate everything that you have done. and, uh, And we look forward to talking to you again. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you, Nick. I appreciate you guys. Again, in the audience, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can find this and the other shows that we do on Spotify. You can type in my last name, Bizarro, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. All of those shows will pop up on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So, Nick, I appreciate you. Uh, all the entrepreneurs who have been on the show, I, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys giving your time uh, and and investing in the future. You know, like I said, fail forward, uh, give backwards. And so I appreciate that everyone's doing that. And I also appreciate everyone listening in um, that, you know, and the growth that we've had internationally, particularly recently, and the amount of downloads we're getting. And I will say this, all the audience that is actually sharing the episodes, it's kind of crazy. And it's kind of great uh, and crazy that all the fans of all these food businesses and restaurants and food trucks and food trailers and uh, pop-ups and, and whatever business models, consumer packaged goods, are sharing the information to help out the entrepreneurs as well, spread their message, and to benefit entrepreneurs who are out there. You know, you're not alone. There are hundreds of thousands, if not millions upon millions of food entrepreneurs across the world. So you're definitely not alone. You know, there's a lot of industries where there may be one or two or three or four or five entrepreneurs only in the business. That's not food, guys. There's plenty of resources. While there are a lot more moving pieces in food, there's also a lot more support. And, you know, the feeling of being lonely as an entrepreneur is real. But in food, we really don't have to be. There's plenty of people out there that live by our same core values that are going through what we're going through. And that's one of the reasons we started the Gorilla Brave group for everyone. I will send you that information, Nick. Um, But it's because there's tons of entrepreneurs that are willing to share their information with each other, grow each other uh, as a group and network and get, you know, coaching and whatever for their businesses from each other and mentoring. So we're just providing an avenue there through Gorilla Brave. And if people really want it, we offer individual stuff beyond the group. But it's really about the group setting and everyone knowing they're not alone and, you know, mentoring each other. And in a group, they'll learn way more from each other than they ever would from me. I can tie up the loose ends. I can anchor the facts. I can help them grow their business and scale their business. But a lot of time, the basics, the things that we need to know, the things that we're caught up on have a lot to do from what we can learn from other people and surrounding ourselves by the right people that are our friends eventually that hold us accountable and hold our uh, us accountable while we hold them accountable and we grow each other really through accountability. So thank you again, Nick, for doing the show. Thank you, everyone. And we're out.